All right, everybody, come on in. I'm Reverend Billy. We're preaching for the planet today. I was just about to start my message. I have a title. I hope you like it. Here it is. Let's live. Is that too simple? Uh, let me try it again. I had another alternative title as well. Survival. What an idea. Now, I know that I'm putting a controversy out there that in mainstream thinking, this would not be permissible. If I went out to uh, the park and stood up on a park bench and started shouting, let's live, let's live, people, I would be subject to arrest, and media commentators would call me an agitator, a terrorist, an extremist. I don't know how the mainstream organizations, the, the big institutions, the religions and militaries and corporations and governments, they have persuaded us. I don't know, I don't know what's going on there exactly, but... To, to my way of thinking, it's, it's an unusual position that mass death is okay. And that reminds me of 100 years ago, the Dada movement in Zurich, Switzerland. A bunch of people got together and they said, it's, it's so strange that an entire generation has murdered itself. World War I, the Great War as they called it, everybody disappeared. They just shot each other. Mustard gas, and so these people started performing in a little club called Cabaret Voltaire. And they were trying to invent a new culture that might be more peaceful. And there was one artist who started a new language with guttural sounds and sighs and cries. He had his own meanings, his own vowels, his own consonants. And that's kind of what we have to do now, I think. Because we are just headed for the abyss together, and it's just sort of okay. But for those of us who, well, we want to live, and we want our kids to live too, maybe it's time for us to start a new language. Hmm? All right, let's go. It's a go.
Shawa Hey Well Let's just go back to That uh, English language I usually preach in Alright This is Reverend Billy And you are welcome to This Earth Church It's Reverend Billy Radio We're trying to preach for the earth here I'd like to thank the Stop Shopping Choir for that beautiful song, The Promised Land. I'd like to concentrate on three lines of that song. We will survive the promised land. Eternal life is their last stand. Life on earth is saving us. First of all, the promised land. Well, that is the American characteristic. We believe in that Bible story. We're hardwired with it. Even if we're not Christians, even if we didn't come from Europe, but our ancestors did, it's our ambition, it's our emotion, it's, it's how we dominate, it's how we foolishly kill and plunder. And we go west, go west, go west, go west. And we get to California, the Golden Dream Coast, and what happens there? Well, first of all, it's on fire. The promised land is on fire. It's the pillar of fire that we we followed across the desert seems to have burned the promised land. It's almost as if in the Bay Area and in L.A., Silicon Valley and Hollywood, those creators of illusion, of story, of magic special effects, That mesmerizing screen product that has made those companies out there the most valuable companies in the world. It's almost as if they know that we know, oh, this is the Pacific Ocean, this is as far as we can go. So they set up their screens and they give us the illusion of going farther, farther and farther and farther. That's what I mean by eternal life. It's a kind of heaven. After our death, after we become consumers and we stop trying to live and just capitulate to these powerful products, they will keep us entertained. Meanwhile, while we're watching those screens, what is happening? The earth is in a terrible struggle. Extinction is accelerating. The polar caps are melting. Species disappearing. Poisons in the atmosphere, in the soil, and the water. The earth is a conscious living being struggling to stay alive, and we're watching those screens. Our way to get away from those screens, to disengage, to have our life saved, don't believe in that eternal life. Turn away from the screen because the earth is turning you away. She is so powerful. She is making sure that life continues. She wants us to be a part of that evolution. She wants us to be her companion in this work. We feel her pulling us from the most powerful product ever made. Screen all life. We will pull out of that consensual hypnosis and go back to the natural world. I believe that. We believe that in the church of Stop Shopping. Come on now. We believe that in the earth church. The life on earth is saving us. Life wants life to live. Life will save us as we save life. Now that, that is our call. 
And that will be hard to do. It's going to be hard work backing away from those screens. We can do it. The earth is more mesmerizing, more fascinating. It's got a better story. We don't have to conquer anyone. We just have to live. Life hallelujah. Do we have that new language coming up in us? It is new, it's very different, and it's revolutionary. We will have then a kind of power to address those corporations and their toxicity that we have not had before. There's no power on the earth like the earth itself. Earth hallelujah. Earth hallelujah. Listen to me. Make your stand like standing rock. The First Nations peoples in North Dakota are showing us the future of direct action. In the path of the Enbridge pipeline, the black snake. They're making something that traditional environmentalists don't have the words for. A friend of mine who's there right now put it this way. It's not like a protest, it's a ceremony. There's a crucial lesson here for we environmentalists, we gotta learn it. At Standing Rock, the cops and courts, helicopters and drones and Dobermans are facing their opposite. The pipeline of pure life is pouring onto them from a hundred tribes. It must be astonishing. For Dakota Access Advocates to come face to face with their anti-world. All the life that the pipeline would have killed over the years is anticipating events and they're showing up right now. All the burrowing owls and, and golden eagles and prairie rattlers and grasshopper sparrows and just all the stuff from the earth the life that isn't oil is staging this drama. Keep it in the ground takes on a new meaning. <laughs> that ground is not like the ultimate other. That ground is not going to erase fossil fuel. That ground is full of life. Animals, plants, you and me, ancestors. It's rising up over the drills, puncture. The pipeline's tunnel, the bomb train's rails. And now it's time for the letter of the week. This comes to us from Bob in Beaver Creek, Pennsylvania. Dear Reverend, the corporations and governments are killing us, pollution, overpopulation, climate change, and so on. 
But the planet Earth seems to be doing the same thing with wildfires and viruses and superstorms. We're getting it from both sides. What can we do? Dear Bob, the planet Earth is insisting on life. This is called evolution, and the Earth is fighting right now through an extinction episode, which, you know, to some degree, to a large degree, you and I have caused. And now we're getting in the way. We should find a way to join the Earth, get in step with her evolution. The human institutions, on the other hand, are continuing their death march. They're going to kill us all. So, Bob, the short answer, get with the Earth and change humanity from the Earth's point of view, from the Earth's plan. Start this by walking into a forest or an ecosystem of your choice and just sit down and listen. Listen for hours, no matter what happens. A storm gathers and rains on you. The wind and the waves rise up. Just keep listening. You'll get your answer. It will come into your mind somehow. Dreams. Maybe it'll come to you several days later. Keep the faith. Earthaluya. All right, you can write to us by just coming to our church website, revbilly.com, R-E-V Billy, revbilly.com. There's an email offering there for you. Coming up next, the news from the natural world with Savitri D. Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Nearly half a million people in the United States have contracted the novel coronavirus COVID-19 in the last seven days, as cases and hospitalizations set fresh records in hotspots in the Midwest. More than 5,600 people died from the virus nationwide, and hospitalizations increased by 13%. Illinois, which has emerged as a hotspot in recent weeks, reported over 31,000 new cases in the last seven days, more new infections than any other state except Texas. Scientists have found evidence that frozen methane deposits in the Arctic Ocean, known as the sleeping giants of the carbon cycle, have started to be released over a large area of the continental slope off the East Siberian coast. High levels of the potent greenhouse gas have been detected down to a depth of 350 meters in the Laptev Sea near Russia, prompting concern among researchers that a new climate feedback loop may have been triggered that could accelerate the pace of global heating. Methane has a warming effect 80 times stronger than carbon dioxide over 20 years. The United States Geological Survey has previously listed Arctic hydrate destabilization as one of four most serious scenarios for abrupt climate change. Vietnam is being hit by the most intense series of tropical storms in decades. Typhoon Molav is expected to make landfall with a force equivalent to a Category 3 hurricane. It is the fourth tropical storm to batter the Southeast Asian country since the 11th of October and the ninth since the start of the year. This series of unusually close and intense storms has caused devastating flooding and landslides across Vietnam's central region. As of Tuesday, 130 people were reported to have died. 18 people were missing and nearly 300,000 homes had collapsed or were damaged by floodwaters.
Nearly 15,000 hectares of agricultural land have so far been damaged by the floods, and more than 767,000 livestock have been lost. Although most of the rice cultivated in the region was harvested before the storms, huge quantities of rice, maize, and cassava flour stored in homes have been destroyed. At least 150,000 people will need food assistance in the next six months. A bar-tailed godwit has set a new world record for the longest nonstop flight made by a bird in its over 7,500-mile flight from Alaska to New Zealand. The bird reached a maximum speed of 55 miles per hour and flew nonstop for 11 days, likely without sleeping. The bird world has its share of amazing migratory feats. Arctic terns are known for having the longest overall migration, with one bird racking up almost 60,000 miles on its round-trip journey between England and Antarctica. And as scientists recently discovered, great frigate birds can sleep in 10-second bursts while remaining airborne for up to two months. But when it comes to uninterrupted flight, the Alpine Swift has held the record for the longest single flight of any avian species at 200 days aloft. Exposure to microbes found on the forest floor is good for young immune systems. Children who played in newly forested spaces for one month had more diverse communities of friendly bacteria than those who played in standard playgrounds with pavement and gravel. According to a new study, it seems undeniable that contact with nature, even a transplanted forest floor, promotes the natural development of immune systems through exposure to a broad range of microbes involved in different aspects of the immune response. The tens of thousands of cargo ships that travel the world's oceans, carrying everything from jeans and smartphones to cars and bananas, collectively emit more the CO2 than most countries. A new ship called the Ocean Bird, in development now, is designed to help. With huge wing-like sails, it runs on wind power but will be able to cross the Atlantic in less than two weeks, only a few days longer than a ship running on fossil fuels. Japan has pledged to be carbon neutral by 2050, joining a growing list of countries aiming to stave off the worst effects of climate change. The country's approach will include new solar cells and carbon recycling. Japan has the third largest economy in the world. China pledged to be carbon neutral by 2060. The United States, the world's second largest carbon emitter, has not made any pledges to become carbon neutral. It will leave the Paris Climate Agreement on November 4th and is the only country to withdraw from it. More than 100 species, including Asian swamp eels and zebra mussels, hitched a ride on Hurricane Isaias's floodwaters, scientists say. And a dire wildfire crisis is unfolding in Colorado after a blaze exploded six times in size growing to 125,600 acres in just 24 hours. The population of an endangered species of the northern right whale that has been the focus of conservation efforts for decades has dipped to less than 370. The right whale was given its name in the days of unbridled whale hunting. It was known as the right whale to kill. In a study of great shearwaters, a medium-sized shorebird, most of the plastic found in the bird's stomach was recyclable polyethylene. To the scientists, the preliminary results add to the growing pile of evidence that recycling is not the solution to our plastic pollution problem, and broader policy action is needed. Scientists have been unable to produce any evidence that shows that celebrity endorsement of environmental causes makes any difference. 
This will come as a blow to many campaigns that have invested time and effort into relationships with celebrity ambassadors. New Hampshire filed a lawsuit Tuesday against the agrochemical giant Monsanto over what it says has been widespread PCB pollution in the state. The state alleges Monsanto and two former subsidiaries are responsible for contamination of public property, as well as water and other natural resources. It also alleges that PCB contamination is much more widespread than previously thought, and that the companies knew of the dangers but failed to warn the public. PCBs, or polychlorinated biphenyls, are toxic industrial chemicals that have accumulated in plants, fish, and people around the globe for decades. PCBs were used in many industrial and commercial applications, including in paint, coolants, sealants, and hydraulic fluids. Monsanto produced them from 1935 until 1977, two years before they were banned by Congress. In June, Monsanto agreed to pay $95 million over PCB contamination in the state of Washington. Also, the company announced a $650 million settlement this summer with several California cities. And now, the sounds of extinction. The giant panda, native to southern China, is a highly specialized animal with unique adaptations and has lived in bamboo forests for millions of years. Molecular studies indicate the giant panda is a true bear, diverged about 19 million years ago from the common ancestor of the Ursidae. The giant panda has been referred to as a living fossil. Its paw has a thumb and five fingers. The thumb, actually a modified sesamoid bone, helps it to hold bamboo while eating. The giant panda typically lives around 20 years in the wild. The average panda eats as much as 30 pounds of bamboo shoots a day. Pandas do not establish permanent dens. Pandas communicate through vocalization and scent markings, such as clawing trees or spraying urine. They are born at 1 800th of their eventual weight, proportionally the smallest baby of any placental mammal and are extremely vulnerable as cubs. They nurse for a year, sometimes as many as 30 times a day as panda mothers are unable to store fat. The cubs begin to crawl at 75 to 80 days. The giant panda is a vulnerable species threatened by continued habitat loss and habitat fragmentation and by a very low birth rate, both in the wild and in captivity. Its range is currently confined to a small portion on the western edge of its historical range, which stretched through southern and eastern China, northern Myanmar, and northern Vietnam. And hear the sounds of the giant panda. Thank <laughs> you.
And today's interview in our Earth Church radio show is Mr. John Carlin, actor and writer, thinker, friend. John is working right now on a play named Turn Me Loose, written by Dick Gregory in the main, but adapted. Let's go right into that. Go right into the play here, John. Oh, okay. Turn Me Loose. Well, it was written by the wonderful Gretchen Law, who is a dear friend of mine, with uh, the blessing of Dick Gregory and sort of um, going in and out of his words and her own and shaping this, this beautiful look going in and out of time of this remarkable figure and entertainer uh, activist who, who gave up a lot of money and, uh, and fame for the sake of the movement. At the height of his comic fame. Yeah. But as a result now, we, he's there with Muhammad Ali, Joan Baez, Harry Belafonte. He is a key entertainment figure who was a part of the peace movement and the civil rights movement. One of the key figures of the last century, Dick Gregory. Now, your, your role in that play is so timely for those of us who are of the white persuasion, but who have spent much of our life working for racial justice. This summer, the Black Lives Matter movement became, by some tabulations, the biggest social movement in the history of the United States. 20 million people, 50, all 50 states. There's this definite feeling that if we had a job to do, it's now definitely not in the lead anymore. It's a supporting job. Amen. You know, it's been a privilege, but now <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that <right>. privilege is <laughs> dispensed aside. with and handed over. Many people, lifelong activists who are uh, watching this phenomenon, it bears some resemblance to the way that you are. There's Joe Morton in the middle of the stage being Dick Gregory, mm. and you're the horizon on all sides. You're the, the white man presence, friend, liberal, misunderstanding sometimes, coming back and being real. Uh, you play many of our responses to the brilliant black liberationist. Mm. Well, yeah, I play all the uh, racist white people. And <laughs> it was quite an experience to, to go into that. And I mean, literally meeting Joe Morton who was a hero of mine, Great just actor. a giant of an actor and having, you know, worked with John Sayles and in these amazing films of uh, City of Hope and, and Brother from Another Planet. And, and within 10 minutes, this is before our first staged reading back in 2014. So it's been quite a journey with this play, which amazingly seems to get more relevant every time we do it. Well, um, it has a life that's in the culture now, touring. It'll be Netflix, Broadway. It'll be wherever it goes, but it's going to go. It very well, uh, yeah, that's uh, the plan. Go. But yeah, within 10 minutes of meeting Joe Morton, I was reading the script and calling him uh, some really, really vile names. And that's uh, some of the characters that I had to play in this play were hecklers in the audience at a comedy club in 1961 uh -huh. or 
just some vile people and then some <laughs> more subtle racists who aren't aware of their racism. Liberals. <laughs> uh, you know? Um, so, and the doing of this play, if I may, just uh, relate some of the, the stories. For instance, I got to do this and for the first time before it was really produced as a play. We did a stage reading. And then a few months later, you and I, Billy, along with a lot of members of the Stop Shopping Choir went to Ferguson and joined with the sort of nascent Black Lives Matter movement. And we raised some money with Joan Baez for the, the activists on the ground there. And I remember being in the street on a really cold November night right before Thanksgiving, right outside the the headquarters of the police there in Ferguson and all the National Guard were there and the local activists. But I, I do remember there was an ex-cop, a white ex-captain of police from Philly who was retired. Oh, yes. But he wore his uniform and he had a poster that said, End Open Season on Young Black Men. And that was in 2014 that there was this crossover of the sort of the awareness that we as white people had to be part of this, this conversation and this transformation. And I think um, that's continued to this day, the little noticed by lots of the press and so forth, but the, the way that Black Lives Matter has gone into communities, there's a Black Lives Matter chapter near you at this point. And they are people of many different backgrounds. I like to say it's the biggest thing that ever happened to the environmental movement, <laughs> which is notoriously white right. and liberal. And the big NGOs are imitating the corporations they oppose and becoming those corporations with CEOs that make millions of dollars and so forth. Black Lives Matter, by bringing us all back to the street back to the parks, back mm -hmm. to public space mm -hmm. together, taking care of each other there like a moving, kind of like a moving Occupy Wall Street. We're all, we've got water for each other. We've got snacks for each other. We're, we're kind of taking care of the, I was on one march and a, an older person fell down. And the way that we took care of each other, the way that we had to take care of each other when we were being kettled and beaten up yeah. by the police. Yeah. So the feeling of looking back at a Dick Gregory and a Harry Belafonte looking back at the giants who opened up all that space. Oh, my God. I mean, this was over 60 years ago, this <laughs> wokeness and this, this uh, I mean, I just recently posted a photograph of Dick Gregory leaving the courthouse in Neshoba County, Mississippi. And he was going to ask questions about the disappearance of Schwerner, Cheney and Goodman. Oh, that's dangerous. And 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 just the, the body language of this photograph that he's being escorted out and he's leading the way and he's being escorted by this goon squad of sheriffs and deputies. And what I learned and what I some of the stories that I got to hear, I could go on and on, and you don't have enough time on your program for this, but um 
I mean, I met Harry Belafonte and I, all the people, Cicely Tyson, and just all these amazing, amazing artists and activists who were, and of course, I became friends with the Gregory family, and I think that's like the biggest uh, blessing of, of being involved in this project. And God, I mean, like I said, how each time we did the play, it seemed to become more relevant. You know, the first time we did it was in 2016, and then in New York, and then we did it in Los Angeles a year later, and it was a month or two after the Charlottesville, you know, Unite the Right rally and the murder of, of that young woman. And so, so to play the racists, all of a sudden, it just became necessary to make that ugliness more real, you know, and unapologetic. Believe me, it was really hard to be shouting. Your audience member is sitting there knowing about Charlottesville. So that's in the souls of the people that are watching you up on that stage. I mean, I'm shouting the N-word over a sea of, of brown-skinned you know, faces. And, and there, was, there were times when, because of the staging of this play, you're supposed to feel, as an audience member, like you're in a comedy club and, you know, 50 years ago. And I'm off to the side in the dark, and I'm, and I'm a heckler. And, and there were some times where some people would stand up from their seats and just want to come oh, at me and you say, find that oh. guy. And I mean, I remember in L.A., I was in the parking garage, and, and these two women were leaving the theater as well. And one who's an old lady in a shawl and a cane. And she says, wait, you were that guy. And, uh, and, and then she proceeds to tell me that she grew up in Mississippi. And she used to play as a child during the day with the white children of the town. And yet they knew that come sundown, their parents... You know, their dads would put on the hood. And she said, and I could show you the place in the Tallahatchie River where they pulled out Emmett Till's body. I was there. And she said, you know, I listened to you up there. I was going to get up and beat your ass. Now come over here and give me a hug. Oh. And, you know, and... Uh, and you hugged each other in the parking garage. And we did. And it was, uh, and they, we took photographs and it was very sweet. John Carlin, I want to thank you for talking with the Church of Stop Shopping today in the Earth Church of the Radio Airwaves. The idea of living through what this country's done, taking on the roles, the good and the bad, putting that out into the footlights again for us to all of us, even the victims of the character you're playing, reliving it, knowing it again, and then giving each other a hug out in the parking garage. Mm. That's just got to be the role of the, the justice artist in our time. Thank you so much for your work, John. Thank you, Billy. This is Reverend Billy Radio, Preacher for the Planet. I'm trying. Let's do this together. We have a special challenge. It's counterintuitive. It's new. It's <laughs> breaking habits that we've had all our lives. Especially, I think it's breaking habits that we've acquired recently. The powerful product that we have shopped for, the screen. Now, I would like to talk about a couple things that I said at the beginning of the show. I said, you know, you got to walk away from that screen. Walk out into the earth. The forest, the meadow, the wetlands. 
out to the shore, out to the high desert, whatever ecosystem you love, go out there, spend time there. Be quiet, let the earth come into you. Now that sounded a little bit, I mean, you know, I said it pretty quickly and it sounded like I was just reciting magic or something. And my translation of that stanza in that song, we will survive the promised land, eternal life is their last stand. Life on earth is saving us. Well, I'm just gonna repeat it. Maybe go into it a little more specifically. First of all, screens. Develop the muscle of shutting down your computer, walking away from it, and going to the earth. And you know, going to the earth, you don't have to go to a primeval forest. We're made of the earth. You and I, our bodies, are made of the material and the quickened spirit of the life that surrounds this beautiful blue and white ball spinning in space. We've got that inside of us. We're made of that. So if we can't go to wilderness easily, I can't. I'm in the middle of this megalopolis here, New York City. There's a way to find the nature. It can be just a boulevard, a strip of lawn, just a garden, and as I say, your own body. But the earth coming into us over a period of time from being quiet with us, if you spend the time and really invite the earth to come in, you can talk to the earth, you know, you can pray. I do. The language of the earth is a language that we don't understand. We don't even believe the earth talks to us. For some centuries now, we believe the earth is silent and looking the other way. No, we are life and the earth is life and life lives with life and we can get the message if we take the time. After a while, if you practice these practices with the earth, the earth comes into your dreams, comes into your thoughts, your body changes. We're taught to resist the earth. We're taught to believe that we're not the earth ourselves. And of course, we are mesmerized by these very powerful products that have made the biggest corporations in the world, in the Bay Area and in Los Angeles, California, in the Promised Land. Well, backing away, we have our friend, our companion, I believe that's the right word. The earth is the way to do it. You know, you can do it with a lover, you can do it with a friend, you can do it with the psychological support of a fellow human being. That always helps. But ultimately, the earth invites us into her ecosystems. Life wants life to live. Now she's having this terrible struggle right now. She's involved in this extinction, which is accelerating. As the polar caps melt and, and the species disappear and, and the poisons mount, and as we cannot stop the big banks financing the plastics and the industrial agriculture, and we haven't so far. The only, I think the only way we will stop it is by being revolutionaries that are full of, empowered by the earth. What will they call us, earthers? Here come the earthers. We will be zealots, we will be stronger. And the environmental movement thinks that they will change these corporations by mimicking them, by crunching numbers, by sitting at databases and screens and making great graphics, websites, litigation, legislation, lobbying. Well, that's important. 
But ultimately, you've got to get back to this kind of faith I'm talking about. It does sound like I'm describing a religion, doesn't it? Because <laughs> to describe what happens with the earth, the magic of the earth coming into your body, it's like you want to be a poet. I'm sitting here trying to get the right words. I want to get powerful words. I want to talk you into this. And I know some of you are already talked into it. And I know that some of you listening to me right now know exactly what I'm saying. There's nothing more powerful, sexier, more moving, emotional than being with and of and by the earth. earth Earth-a-luyah. Earth-a-luyah. That is the way to survive. Pull away from the promised land. Pull away from the screens. Go back to the earth and look back at what human beings have become from that point of view. Have the vision the earth has. And then we will be revolutionaries. We will be empowered to make the change we must make. I believe that. In the United States, we have made great change in the past. We've been radical Americans. And we have changes that we've made in this country that we can be very proud of. We have to do it again now. We've been consumers for some decades now. We've been captured by the promised land. We need our freedom again. Let's be freedom fighters. The earth is our liberator. Earthaluya. Somebody give me an earthaluya out there. I can see you listening in that bar, listening to the dashboard radio, maybe at your warehouse, maybe you're on the night shift or you're driving a taxi cab. Maybe you're just sitting there at your desk late at night. Earthaluya. There's a beautiful friend waiting for us. Yes, I'd like to thank some of the people that contributed to this Earth Church today. First of all, of course, the Stop Shopping Choir. Thank you so much for the Promised Land song. Uh, I'd like to thank the Fiery Eagles of Justice for backing me on Make Your Stand. That would be Jason Candler, our producer and editor on the saxophone accompanied by Brendan Burke on the skins. Amen, Brendan. I'd also like to thank Savitri D., the voice of the news from the natural world. Savitri D. is the director of the Church of Stop Shopping. Our performances on the sidewalks, inside Walmarts, inside Monsanto Laboratories, on the concert stage, she is directing us. I'd like to thank Pantheon Podcasts for distributing us to the podcast networks. And a very special thanks to Neil Young and his community at the Neil Young Archives who have worked on this, developing this earth service for the last couple years. Thank you, Neil. And now change Alleluia, love Alleluia, earth Alleluia. This is Reverend Billy signing off till next week. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>